Psalm 21, 1 to 30. Let's read it and then we're going to uh, study in it a little bit. For the director of music, to the tune of the Doe of Mourning, a Psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries. My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are in you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusted in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my brother's breasts. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircled me. Roaring lions that tear their prey, open their mouth wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart was it has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a portrait. You lay in dust of the earth. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircled me. They pierced my hand and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lion. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You revere him, all the descendants of Israel. For he has not despised He has not hidden his face from him who has listened. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who hear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. Mm -hmm. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. Yes. And all the ends of the nations will bow down before him. Amen.
and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Future generation will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Amen. You all can be seated. As we have been talking for the last 37, 38 weeks, we are going through shadows of Golgotha. We're going through pictures of the cross uh, throughout the Old Testament. We started from Genesis and now we are in the book of Psalms. We started Psalm 22 last week and... Um, what we talked about is this, if you guys remember, I'm just going to recap and then start, launch us into the day. Jesus said seven words when he was on the cross. I think word four, five, and six probably are quotes from that very psalm right here, Psalm 22. The very first verse in that psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus said that verbatim when he was on the cross. I think it was the fourth word. And then if you skip to verse 15, it talks about how he was so thirsty that his tongue actually clung to the roof of his mouth. And Jesus, that the very number word number five was, I am thirsty. And then at the very end of the psalm, it say he has done it, which is almost very uh, comparable, very parallel to what Jesus said as his sixth word, it is finished. I mentioned that to you last week, we said that some commentators even think that Jesus was just reciting the whole psalm when he was hanged on the cross during that time and just going through that psalm and how is that psalm a description of him hanged on the cross and the pain and the agony that he is, that he is going through. Amen? So we started last week talking about this and if you remember from last week we said there is three major points that this psalm is representing about Christ. Last week we spoke from verse 1 to 5 and we spoke about Christ the... Good, I'm going to go back and preach it today. Uh, Christ the forsaken one, right? That's verses 1 to 5. Jesus started the whole thing by saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we spoke last week about how Christ was abandoned by the Father on the cross because he was made sin for us and God is too holy to, to even come close to his own son on the cross. And the Father literally abandoned the cross, the son on the cross, so he can pay for our sins. And that was verses 1 to verse 5. Jesus, the forsaken one, or Christ, the forsaken one. Then from verse 6 to verse 21, now this is Christ, the suffering one. That psalm, David wrote that psalm under the guidance and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And he described vividly the pain and the agony that Jesus has gone through when he was hanged on the cross and throughout his crucifixion process. So verses 6 to 21, that is Christ the suffering one. And then from verse 22 to verse 32, that's Christ the triumphant one, the victorious one. Amen. So that is the three main um, highlights, the three main representations of Christ. 
and Him crucified that we see here in this psalm. Today we're going to try to focus more on verses 6 to verse 21 when it talks about Christ the suffering one. I think we're going to take this week and next week uh, talking about these few uh, verses. When you read these verses from 6 to 21, um, I found that there is seven parts or seven um, points uh, that Christ or the psalm was describing here through his pain and what he has gone through on the cross. Obviously, David here under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and Jesus reciting that psalm in, in the New Testament, he was just pouring out his heart. So he's not trying to present a systemic presentation of how he feels, right? But I'm just thinking these seven points are going to help us just to try to highlight what Jesus was just going through. Amen? From verses 6 to verse 21, we read about his condition, his overall condition when Jesus was hanging on the cross. We see a part of that in verse 6 when Jesus said, I am, or, or David said, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, a prophecy of Christ, I am a worm and not a man. And then in verse 14, he says, I am poured out like water. This is just a description of his overall condition when Jesus was hanging on the cross. We see also a vivid description of his surroundings, the people that were surrounding him, what was going around him when he was hanging on the cross. We see that in verse 6 and 7 that he was mocked, he was despised by everybody. And then in verse 12, 13, and 16, we see that the Bible used description of, of animals to describe the people that were surrounding Christ on that time. Uh, the analogy here is that they're like bulls and they're like lions and they're like dogs. So that is the description of his surrounding. Number three, we see the description of his bones. We see that in verse 14 and verse 17. In verse 14, he said, all my bones are out of joint. And we're going to see next week that this is actually literally what happened to Jesus on the cross. And then verse 17, they count all my bones or all my bones are on display. Number four, we see a description of his heart. That's what verse 14, my heart was turned like wax, it melted within me. We see a description of his mouth, how, how thirsty he was, and, uh, and that's in verse 15. My tongue stinks to the roof of my mouth. We see a description of his hands and his feet. It says they pierced my hand and my feet in verse 16. And then number seven, we see a description of his clothing, what happened to the cloth. And then it says in verse 18, they divided my cloth among them and they cast lots for my garments. Amen. So these are the seven points, the seven things that uh, I can find out in this psalm. We're just going to use that as a way to highlight parts of what Jesus has gone through on the cross. This week we're going to only look into part number one, his condition, his overall condition. And then next week we'll try to finish all of them. I figured you guys rather have two short sermons, right? Yep. So let's do that. So today we're just going to talk about the overall conditions that Jesus was described at when he was hanged on the cross and how it's described by David in the Old Testament. See, this psalm was written hundreds of years before Christ. Yet the vivid description of what Jesus has gone through, it's absolutely amazing. This is a powerful testimony of the power of the Word of God and that Jesus is truly the Messiah. Amen? If you want to share the gospel with a Jew, you take them there right away. Psalm 22, Isaiah 53. It's really hard to argue with this. Amen? I mean, think about it. At the time that David wrote this psalm, 
Crucifixion wasn't even invite, in, invented yet. Nobody even know what is crucifixion at that point. Yet we see the David said, they pierce my hand and my feet. This is just the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now let's just focus on his condition. Um, two major uh, phrases here that David is using. Obviously a prophecy about a description of Christ on the cross. In verse 6 we see that he says, I am a worm and not a... Man, and then in verse 14 it says, I am poured out like water. Let's just try to uh, meditate and think about these two phrases for a little bit. Number one, I am a worm and not a man. When the, when the Bible here says, when David used the word worm to describe Jesus on the cross, it really tried to emphasize two major points. Number one, it's a condition of or, or a description of decay and unpleasantness. We read about that in Exodus 16:20. If you remember, that's the story about the manna. And God said in the Old Testament, you get enough manna for the day. Don't get manna for the next day. The children of Israel didn't want to listen to God. So they got enough for the day and for the following day. And now we read this in Exodus 16, 20. And when they did not listen to Moses, some lift part of it until the morning, and it breathed worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. So worm came out of this manna and it stunk. So worms here in that part of the scripture, we see it associated with decay and unpleasantness. And that's kind of what Jesus was trying to say here, that his condition on the cross, it is a condition of decay and unpleasantness. And not only that, worm is also associated in the scripture many times with death. So Jesus was saying, I am in the condition of decay and unpleasantness and I am very close to die when he said, I am a worm and not a man. We read in Isaiah uh, 14, 11, your pump is brought down to Sheol and the sound of your stringed instrument, the maggot is spread under you and worms cover you. That's when, I think it was the king of Babylon that Isaiah was talking about here. Don't quote me, I think it is. And then he um, was just dying and Isaiah was writing this point about it and he said, when you go down to Sheol, that's where the dead people go, there is worms there waiting for you. So it's a description of a condition of death. And that's in a way what Jesus was describing himself here on the cross. He's in a condition of decay and he's very close to die and if you look at the very first word in verse 6 well how does it say but I am a worm and not a man but I am a worm and not a man that means this part is actually connected to what he's saying before right and what was he saying before he's saying our fathers trusted in you and you listen to them. But here I am crying out to you. And that you're not listening to me. I'm still abandoned and forsaken by you. And that's how I am a worm and not a man. Because the mere human being, God does answer to them and rescue them from their trouble. But Jesus said, because I am so abandoned and I'm treated way less than any other a human being is being treated, or even our own ancestors, how they were treated by God. In that sense, I am a worm and not a man. I am way low, even below the standard human being treatment. Amen? And we see that on the cross. We see that Jesus was treated way below any average human being that was treated at that time. 
If Jesus was treated by the Jew under the Jewish law, he would have been treated better. If Jesus was a Roman treated by the Roman's law, he would have been treated better. He was treated even worse than the very criminal that he was hanged in between. Let's look into all of that. Jesus was actually scourged right before he was led to the cross. And if you go back to the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 25-23, God has set very strict rules on how you should scourge or flag a person in the Old Testament. Let's read it. I can read it for you. Deuteronomy 25-23. What is the very first few words here? If the what guilty person deserves to be beaten. Well, that's not even the condition with Christ, right? He was not guilty. He was not even deserved to be beaten. So this law shouldn't even be applied to him to start with. But he was even treated far worse than what this law required. Look at this. The judge shall make them uh, lay down and have them flogged in his presence with the number of lashes the crime deserves. So depending on what he did, he can get lashed accordingly. But the judge, listen to this, but the judge must not impose more than 40 lashes. That's the cap. If he stole something small, he can get two, three lashes and he's done. If he stole something big, he can be slashed 20, 30 times and then he's done. But the maximum is 40 lashes. You cannot scourge anybody more than 40 lashes under the Old Testament. Why? If the guilty party is flogged more than that, your fellow Israelite will be degraded, will be despised in your eyes. So God, to keep the dignity of the person who is guilty and deserve to be scourged, God said, cap it at... 40 lashes. Amen? And the Jews, to honor that, they start capping it at 39 lashes. Why? Just in case they miscount one lash, so they leave some buffer, so they don't uh, overlaw, uh, they don't scourge people more than what God commanded. Amen? That's why in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four, Paul said this, Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus... One. Because God said, cap it at 40. The Jews said, oh, let's play it safe just in case we miscount. So we're capped at 39. So even if we count, even if we miss one, we're still safe. With, we're still within that 40 lashes limit. Amen? But Jesus was scourged right before he went to the cross. But Jesus was not scourged by Jews. And he was not under the Jewish law when he was scourged. He was scourged by Romans. And he was under the, law, the Roman law when he was scourged. Amen. And we have absolutely no indication that the Romans at that time will honor what the Jewish law would say. Amen. There is no reason to believe that Jesus was scourged only 30 times at the cross. Chances are he was scourged far more than that. Amen? And not only that, but to make matters worse, when the Romans came, they were so vicious in the way they scourged people that they would actually attach metal, part of metal, and parts of dry, cheap bones to the very ends of their lashes. When they flog people, then all this metal and all these dry bones will actually embed it in the skin and in the top layer muscle of the person. And then when they pull, pull that lash back, then it actually like tore all the muscles and the first layer of that body. It was so brutal. And these are not just like your, your engineers and doctors and pharmacists. These are like, these are soldiers. They are brutal, strong people. And they would whip Jesus with every string of ounce, the ounce of strength they have. 
and they would just scourge him so hard on the cross and again he was treated far less than even the average Jew would have been treated. Amen? Amen. We read a prophecy about this in Psalm 129.3. This is a prophecy about Christ being scourged on the cross. And look what the psalmist says. This is an amazing scripture in the Old Testament. Look what it says. The flowers, the flowers, plowed upon my back, they're made long their furious. So have you, I'm not a farmer, I don't know how they do it, but if you have seen a, a plow going through the land, what I'm understanding is this, that plow will have long teeth, metal, and the whole point of plowing the land is to air it. So the way you do it is, when, when the plow is going through the land, these long teeth dig inside the ground, and when it moves, it just flip it. So that, that the, the ground, the soil that is in the second or the third layer actually now is exposed to air and exposed to sun. And that's the whole point of plowing the land. It's kind of like stir the ground up upside down so that the, the bottom layers that is not exposed to air and it's not exposed to sun is being plowed and it's come, come up to the surface. That's the whole point of plowing. Amen? Amen? And that's what Jesus said happened to me on the cross. They plowed on my back. And this is not a metaphor of what happened to him. That's literally what happened to Jesus on the cross. Because when, when these metals and, and bones are being plugged into his flesh and then they pull it back it literally as if you're plowing a land and all the muscles that is on the, under the surface come up because he was just so beaten in that way it is so brutal to be scourged by the romans at that time a Jew would have not been scourged that way if he was under the jewish law amen but jesus was treated less than a man with integrity or man with even slightest respect. They did not have none for that for Jesus. Amen? I am a worm and not a man. That's why that scripture that I quote to you guys all the time. In Isaiah 52 that says that his, his, his figure was so marred that you cannot tell he's a human being. That's literally what happened from all the scourging and the beating that Jesus took on the cross. When you look at him carrying his cross going to, to Calvary to be crucified, you look at him and you cannot even tell that he is a human being from all the beating that he has took. It, was, it disfigured him. You cannot even tell he is a human being. Amen? Jesus was treated far much lower than even an average Jew under the Jewish law. But not only that, Jesus, if he was a Roman under the Roman law, he would have been treated better than the way he, would have been, he has been treated. If you remember, we talked about this weeks ago, that the Roman law forbid crucifixion from Roman citizens. If you're a Roman citizen, the cross was so brutal that the Empire of Rome said we cannot expose our citizens to some sort of torture like this. The only exception they would make, probably, if a soldier abandoned his his post in the war and then flee the war, that's when the only option that you can be a Roman citizen and you can go to the cross. Amen? But everybody else, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter. You can be a serial killer. You can be a serial rapist. You can do the most heinous crime ever committed. And if you're a Roman citizen, yes, they can execute you, but they're never going to crucify you because it's such an inhumane way of dying. Amen? Yet Jesus died that death for you and me. He was treated even less than a Roman citizen under the Roman law. Amen? 
But not only that, he was treated even worse than the criminal that he was hanged in between on the cross. Look at this scripture from the book of John chapter 19. Look what it says here. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus. And then those of the other, the other thief on the other side. And when they came to Jesus and found that he has already dead, they did not break his legs. Now, think about this. Crucifixion in, in, under the Roman Empire was designed to be as torturous and as a slow of a death as it can ever possibly be. Amen? Actually, some says that they intentionally scorch people right before they go to the cross so they can actually bleed so that blood that they lose can hasten their, their, their death when they're hanged on the cross. So they're trying to just like tortures them so much till they die. That's the whole point. And if you're hanged on the cross with all these wounds, you have the birds that can come and just feast on you. You can have all the bugs maybe around you and they just feast on you and there's just, it's a torturous, slow way of dying. The point of crucifixion is not to kill the person, it's to torture the person before they die. Amen? So much so that if they let the person being hanged on the cross for so long and they don't die, then eventually they go and break their feet, they break their legs. And when they break their legs, legs people suffocate under their own weight when they're hanged on the cross. And when they went, because it was Sabbath next day and they needed to wrap it up, so the Roman soldiers goes there, they go to the, to the thief on his right hand and the thief on his left hand, one hand and the other hand, and they're both still alive, so they break their legs so they can die quickly. But when they come to Jesus, he has already been dead. You know why? Because Jesus has endured far more torture and far more beating and pain way before, way more than these two criminals hang next to him. That's why he died faster. There is no indication that Jesus was in a poorer health than them. As a matter of fact, remember Jesus was an itinerant preacher, right? He was all over the place. He walks, he's 33 years old. We have every reason to believe that he was in good health when he was going to the cross. Amen? Yet he died far more sooner than these two criminals on his right hand, on, the, on his left hand. Because Jesus endured far, much, far more torture and far more um, scourging and pain and shame than they. That's why he died sooner. They were treated much better than him. That's why they lasted longer. I am a worm and not a man. Isn't that just crazy? This is the son of God we're talking about. Let's put that in perspective. Jesus, let's look at who he is before he even wanted to go to that cross. Philippians 2, 5 to 8. Here is what Paul said. Have this mind, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The mind of sacrificing yourself for the sake of others. Just like Jesus, when he sacrificed himself for us. And look at this, who Jesus is. Who being in the very nature God. We talked about this passage before. He was in the very nature God. He was exactly everything that the Father is. Right? He was in the very form of God, the very nature of God. Did not consider equality with God something that he can hold on to for his own advantage. But rather, he made 
himself, he poured himself out, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a slave and coming in the likeness of man. He being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself to become obedient to the point of death, the death of the cross. Think about this. Jesus, the one who is in the very nature God, exactly like the Father in every single aspect, chose to humble himself way too much to be treated not as a criminal, but less than a criminal. Crazy. Why would he do all of this? He said that there is no greater love than this. This is because he loves you so much. This is the price. This is what would have taken for you and me to end up in heaven. That Jesus will go to that cross, will endure that much pain for you and me. So you and me can have eternal life. And Jesus looked at the cross and all the pain and the shame and the torture that he was about to endure. And guess what Jesus said? He said, I'd rather go through that than I'd rather for you and me to die apart from him and go to heaven. This is how much he loves you and he loves me. Amen. I am a worm and not a man. He was treated way less than an average person of his time, even less than the criminals that were hanged next to him. The second description of his condition, we read about that in verse 14 when he says, And I am being what? Poured out like water. Now, I don't know about you, but if you pour out water, let me ask you a question. How much resistance water can put up when you have a cup and you tilt it and the water is being poured out? How much resistance the water can put up? None, right? Just going to flow down under its own weight and it's just going to be poured down. That's it. And that's in an essence for me what Jesus was trying to say here. He's saying, I have lost every strength and I have lost every possible resistance. I am too weak. I cannot do anything in terms of having any strength or having any resistance to all that pain and torture I'm going through. That's what he said in verse 14. And he elaborated in that when we go through the rest of the description. The rest of that, the rest of that verse, he says this, All my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned in me like wax. It melted within me. Do you see the picture of liquid, right? Bones are out of joint. There is nothing intact in him. His heart is melted like wax. And he's just like water being poured out. And not only that, in verse 15 he said, My strength has dried up like butchered, butchered. And, lay, and you lay me down to the dust of the earth. So it's like, I have zero strength, zero, Jesus said. I am absolutely cannot resist anything. And he says that the people surround him, nobody's helping him, everybody around him is there to get him. Dogs surround me. And a pack of villain is trying to kill me or get me. So there's absolutely nobody to help Jesus and everybody there is to get him and every bone in his body is being out of joint. His heart has melted. His strength has dried up and he has absolutely no strength in him to resist or to stand up all the pain and the agony that he's going through. Amen? Amen. The word in verse 15 here, my strength is dried up. It depends on what translation you're using, but some translation has the word my mouth dried up and some other translation has my strength dried up. Um, the, the Hebrew for the two words are very similar, so uh, some manuscripts have strength, some has um, tongue, uh, has the word tongue or mouth. 
The NIV actually going with the word mouth. My mouth is dried up because it makes it more in line with the rest of the verse when he says, and my tongue has stuck to the roof of my mouth. So it says like this is more continuity and they follow the, something called the Masoretic text which support the word mouth. But generally speaking, when it comes to um, manuscripts, if we have two different readings and we don't know which one is the right one, if we have two different readings and there's equal um, evidence for both, we usually try to go with the harder reading, the one that doesn't make uh, more sense. Why? You guys follow me? Why? Because there is a chance that there is a scribe when he was writing that manuscript, he made a mistake from the harder reading to the easier reading, the higher chances of that happening, more than making a mistake from the easier reading to the harder reading. You guys follow me? Yes. You understand me? Okay, so that's why I think the word strength here will be more uh, accurate. Obviously, it's just, um, you know, we're trying to follow the, way of, the weight of evidence more than saying that with 100% with confidence. I would say I'm personally more comfortable with the word strength here than the word mouth. He's saying, Jesus is saying, my strength is dried up. I have no ounce of strength in me. We see that throughout the psalm that he's being poured out like water. All his bones are out of joy. His, his heart is melted. He cannot do anything to stop those who are trying to get him. And we see that not just in the book of Psalms, Psalm 22. We see that actually throughout the scripture. 2 Corinthians 13 and 4. Look what Paul said about Christ on the cross. For to be sure, he was crucified. What? In a weakness. When you look at Jesus being crucified, you say this is weak. And he was weak on the cross. All his strength was plundered. Luke 22, 43. Now Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. Even before he goes to the cross. He hasn't even been beaten yet. And look what the scripture says. An angel from heaven appeared to him and did what? Strengthened him. Because he already has started losing strength. Isaiah 53 7 he was led like a lamb to the slaughter let me ask you a question how much resistance when you see a lamb being led to the slaughter how much resistance you think this lamb is putting in probably none he has no strength to resist the one who's leading him to the slaughter amen and then we read that verse, a prophecy also about Christ in Isaiah 50, verse 6. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and from spitting. Obviously, Isaiah's point here is that Jesus willingly accepted the, the shame and the humiliation, and he surrendered himself willingly to those who were torturing him on the cross. Amen? But I am trying to add, this is my personal opinion, you don't have to agree with me on it, but I'm thinking there's another depth, there's another dimension to that verse. It's not that Jesus was just willing to endure all of that for you and me. I also want to suggest that Jesus was too weak to resist any of that shame, or any of that spitting, or any of that beating, because he was so weak on the cross, every single ounce of strength in him was just dried up because of all the torture that he had gone through. Amen? And that's why he said, I am poured out like water. Every single ounce of strength in me is gone. I have no resistance from all the beating and the shame and the, 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 the torture that he has gone through on the cross. He did that for you and for me. Amen. Let's put that in perspective again. Do you see how weak Jesus was on the cross? That... Criminals can revile him and mock him and 
That Jesus, just maybe a few months earlier, before he was crucified, was sleeping in a ship one day. And then there was a mighty storm, and the ship, that the, the sea was raging, and the wind was blowing, and Jesus was just asleep. And the disciples got so um, scared, and they went to him as like, Jesus, Messiah, aren't you care that we are perishing? And what does the Bible say? Jesus stand up, and he start, what did Jesus do? He just said two words. He said, be quiet. That's it. And what happened? The wind obey and the sea obey. This is how powerful Jesus is. This is how powerful Jesus is. You guys hear me? This is how powerful Jesus is. As a matter of fact, let's zoom into that verse in Hebrews 1.3. Look how powerful Christ is. Talking about Jesus and says that He is the radiance of the glory of God. We, talk, we highlighted that last week. And then it says, and He is the exact representation of the nature of the Father. And then look what it says after that. And He, let's read it together. He upholds all things by the word of his power. What is the author of Hebrews saying here? This is how I understand it. It's like if you have a machine and somebody has to maintain that machine, this is what the author of Hebrews is saying here. Jesus is maintaining the machinery of the universe by just one word from his powerful words. Amen? Jesus says a word and the universe fall in place. He upholds everything by just one word, one powerful word that he says. Amen? Amen? This is Christ, the divine Son of the living God. Yet that very Jesus who commands the sea and the, the, the sea and the wind to obey and they do, He's the one who, who commanded things to exist. He created everything. He says a word and things come to existence. He's the one who upholds the universe by just one word. This is how powerful He is. Yet on the cross, His strength has dried up for you and for me. His bones were out of joint. His heart has melted. And there is nothing in him to resist all the evil and the wickedness that he has suffered on the cross. Amen? Why? Why would Jesus do that? Because he loves you. Amen? Let me just close with that verse. Um, Austin, who was here with us a couple of years ago, a dear friend of mine, I was witnessing with him one time and he said this. He was witnessing to a person. He said, Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said this, Father, if it's all possible that you can pass this cup, let it be. But then Jesus said, but not my will, but yours be done. Amen. So Jesus was telling God this. This is Jesus' prayer in essence. He's saying, God, if there is a way at all that the human race can ever be saved without me going to that cross please do it because I don't want to go to that cross amen but then he said but not my will but yours be done amen what happened afterward did Jesus end up on the cross or not on the cross on the cross why because there is no other way for the human race to be saved except through the cross of Christ amen the cross, the torture, the shame, the pain, and the wrath of God that Jesus endured on the cross was the only way that you and me can be saved. Amen? Amen. I mean, we think today we're talking about Lynette and how she passed. But think about...
about this. If it wasn't for Jesus going to the cross 2,000 years ago, what hope she could have ever had? Yes. Nothing. Yes. What hope could you ever, you and me, had if Jesus would have not gone to the cross? Nothing. We have been stuck under the judgment and the wrath of a holy and a righteous God that we have absolutely deserved and there was absolutely no hope for us. Amen? But Jesus loved you and me so much that he said, I'd rather be treated less than a human, less than a criminal, even though he doesn't have to. And he put aside every single ounce of strength he ever had, even though he can say a word and the universe falls in place. Amen? Yet he chose to go that low because there is no other way for you and me to be saved except the bloodshed, the cross, and the resurrection of the Son of God. Amen? Amen. Let's come to him and pray. Friends, if Jesus gave it all on the cross,